Let's pray. Our great God and Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this opportunity, God, to gather into this place and to worship you. God, we pray and we thank you for these graduates, God, that you would be with them, God, that you would bless them. And God, today, as we look at your word, God, I pray that you would challenge us, that you would draw us closer to you, and that you would um, show us how we can walk more closely with Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. We live in a world that is filled with signs and warnings, whether it would be a stop sign alerting you to stop before you got an accident, or a speed limit sign warning you that you might want to slow down or a ticket might be coming your way. We see signs everywhere. Signs warn us of danger, but they also give us things to remember and things to focus on. This morning, before we begin, I want to show you some signs that I came across this week um, on the internet that may be signs you not have not come across. So our first sign on the screen is, in case of fire, exit the building before tweeting about it. I know a lot of us like our phones, and it's kind of cool to send fire emojis, but not when there's a real fire that is brewing. The second sign is found at a pool. Do not breathe under the water. Unless you are a fish. And so that is a good example of a sign. This next sign, before you go to it, if you have had this traumatic experience in your life and I'm bringing it back up, I apologize. Next sign on the screen. Do not feed a pigeon because when you feed a pigeon, you lose a finger. And last but not least, this was in a church. Warning, articles of value should not be left on the seats whilst receiving Holy Communion. Be careful, there are more people looking for a tithe than the church at that congregation. And so, um, when we think about signs, signs are everywhere. And when we turn to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, we see Paul putting up three signs, three warnings, three pictures of things that we should be doing and we should be focused on as we walk with Jesus. And see, Paul lays these signposts out to remind us of things to avoid, yet also things to focus on. If you remember from Chris's series in previous weeks, Paul is writing this first letter to Timothy. Timothy is Paul's mentee. He's his son in the faith. He's the person he's poured his life into. And he's writing this book to give him guidance on how to walk with Jesus and how to lead the church that he was called to lead. As we approach chapter 4, we see two different audiences of this text. The first audience is Timothy and the elders of the church to which Paul is writing. Uh, that is the original audience. There's also a secondary audience. That audience would be the church in the end times. When you think about end times, that's a term that is kind of loaded. The end times biblically began in that moment when the disciples stood on the mountain and watched Jesus go up into heaven. And I can imagine them staring up into heaven and wondering what's going on, when is he coming back. As Christians, we have an anticipatory faith. We spend our faith looking up waiting for that moment when Jesus will return, waiting for that moment when Jesus will come and make all things new and bring us home. And so we as Christians are living in the end times, waiting for Jesus to come again. And so as Christians living in the end times, let us rise and stand together and read from 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says, That in the later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciousness are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. 
For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and by prayer. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is truth, and your word guides us and leads us in what it looks like to be people who follow you. Give us a fresh vision of what that looks like in our lives today and draw us closer to Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. You can grab a seat. So Timothy raises four, three different warning signs for, uh, Paul raises three different warning signs for Timothy. And the first is this, to watch out. Watch out. As the chapter begins, he talks about those departing from the faith. Um, Seniors, soon-to-be college students. If we look at stats on uh, church students going into college and beyond, um, chances are about 50% of students that graduate from a church involved in Christian churches within four years will have walked away from their faith, will have walked away from Christianity, will have walked away from Jesus. So when we think about approaching our faith and the whole idea of following Jesus, that's something that is a decision that you're going to need to make. When you go to college, your first two weeks are going to determine the direction of your college experience. And you're at a point in your life where you need to determine what you value. Do you value church? Do you value your relationship with Christ? Or is this just mom and dad's faith that I'm leaving at home? So when we think about watching out, you need to realize that we need to watch out because there's a drift that could easily happen. And that drift becomes, hey, it's Sunday morning and it's easier to sleep late and miss church and miss a connection here. And it's hard to connect in a church when it's a new church and there's new people. And there are lots of things we can make where we, where we miss out on what God has for us. Church as a whole, we need to watch out because Paul is calling them to realize that there are false teachers everywhere. That there's teachers that are leading people away. False teachers will lead people away. Verses 1 and 2, now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons through the sincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. False teachers will lead people away. Jesus warned us that those would come, people would come and lead us away. When we think about being led astray, being led astray is something that is shifted a little bit. If you look at something that's completely crazy and completely different, everyone would step back and go, that is something that is wrong. But when we see false teaching, it is a small shift that has happened. These people who are doing this, according to this text, have burned their consciences. They don't realize that what they are doing is wrong anymore. They've moved on beyond that. They've told a lie so long that the lie that repeats in their head becomes in their mind a truth in their lives. And we live in a world where there's many false teachers and many false gospels. Well, there's the prosperity gospel that claims that Jesus came to make us rich and to rescue us from all suffering and pain. When you read this book and you follow a Jesus who died on a cross to look at our lives and say we'd be free from suffering is a gospel that doesn't line up with this Bible. Or another one is the Jesus plus my performance gospel that I add Jesus to my life because my life is already good and Jesus is the ultimate self-help guide and if I add him on the top, my life will be better. That's not the gospel at all. That misses the fact that we are sinful and we are stuck in our depravity and we are broken without Jesus. Or maybe it's the cultural religious gospel, super popular in Alabama and super popular around election time, the cultural religious gospel that believes that If you know certain facts about Jesus that are divorced from your life, that you will be okay. 
In the Bible, we see James talk about the demons and what the demons believe. The demons believe that Jesus died on the cross. The demons believe that Jesus rose from the dead. The demons believe that Jesus had power, and they shudder at that thought. Cultural Christianity doesn't even shudder at that thought. We just believe those things and check that box and we move on with our life. That is a false gospel. Or last, the good outweighs the bad gospel, which teaches as long as you do good things. I gave some money. I went to church. I helped a person in need. When you stand before God, they'll throw it on the scales and it'll all work out in the end. We have false gospels everywhere. And as a church, we must be on guard. Second, we see that false teachers are promoting a gospel of religious superiority. They're promoting a gospel of religious superiority. Verse 3, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. They were teaching this gospel of superiority that said, if I do certain things and my brother or sister does not do certain things, I can feel more spiritual about myself because I look at them and I judge them. I don't eat those things. That person eats those things. I don't get married. The reason I don't get married is because, you know, God is the only true relationship I need, and I don't need a relationship with anyone else. They're claiming that these things are true and that these things make them better. They're adding to the core of the gospel, which is grace alone, faith alone, and Jesus alone, and making it about religious works. So often in our day, we have a tendency to do the same things. We make ourselves feel more spiritual by telling God, hey, you should give me what I want because, God, I gave some money to the church. God, I went to Sunday school. God, I helped someone on a mission trip. None of these things are bad, yet when they're divorced from a response of praise for the grace of God in our lives and turned into religious activities to warrant divine favor, we've missed it. Because the gospel says this, at the cross, religious superiority falls away Because in the gospel, there's one hero. It's not me. It's not you. It's Jesus. And students, as you go and you look for a church in the college town that you go to, realize that the name church on the door doesn't mean they teach the Bible. We need to look at the and see, are we in a church where they teach God's word from God's word and God's word defines the direction of the church and the truth from the pulpit? Or is God's word simply used as something to stand up someone else's ideas? Do they teach God's word? Is Jesus presented as the hero or some pastor or someone else or some experience or some numbers in a congregation presented as the hero? Who's the hero? As you look for a church, and I pray you look for a church, and there are awesome gospel Jesus-teaching churches all over this country, be discerning. Watch out. Third, we see that false teachers forget all created things come from God. False teachers forget that all created things come from God. The verse continues in 4. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and by prayer. The false teachers claim that marriage and certain foods were bad, but they forgot that God was the author of those things. That God created a world and said it was perfect, that it was good, that it was very good, that it was made the way he wanted it, and they miss that, that God made it and called it good. So the first signpost we see is to watch out. Watch out. Know the truth. Realize that everyone that wants to claim that they preach the truth is not preaching the truth. Is the truth grounded in this book? Is the truth grounded in the gospel message? So we watch out. Second, we work out. We work out. 
Paul shifts the focus from the other people's teaching to Timothy's own decisions to follow Christ and to work out his faith. These things which Paul lays out before Timothy and us are things that keep us from becoming one of those who walks away, one who departs the faith and walks away from truth. So what does Paul tell Timothy? Verse 6, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and the good doctrine which you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent and silly myths. First point, we train our mind through God's word and good doctrine so that you can discern truth from error. Train your mind through God's word and good doctrine so you can discern truth from error. Those people who study counterfeit money, in order to learn what the counterfeits are, they don't stare at all the different options of a fake. They stare at real money to see what it's like and to see what they would expect on real money. When you think about counterfeits, if someone brought a red dollar bill to go pay for something, it would obviously be flagged as counterfeit. But we see that counterfeits are something that is a slight twist. It's a slight change to what it truly is. If we want to determine from truth from lies, we must first understand truth. Do we know the real gospel and do we believe it is true? And the gospel is this, that our efforts, our performance, our religious actions are never enough. We are sinners, and we need a rescuer. That's why God sent his son Jesus. He lived the life that we couldn't live. He died the death on the cross that we deserve to die, and he rose again from the dead, defeating death and paving a way for us to be free from our sins and to have a relationship with God. And the gospel response is this, to turn from our sins and our attempts to save ourselves and to trust in Jesus and his work to experience eternal life. I don't know about you, but there have been some moments in my life where I've had struggles with a GPS. GPS is a great technology. There's an Apple update that released several years ago that they quickly fixed, and one of the errors on the Apple update was something that could be very treacherous to an individual, and it was that some of the one-way streets did not get marked. I don't know about you. I've never, if you turn the wrong way down a one-way street, that's one of those moments when you look around and you realize there's an issue going on. There are cars coming at me. I might die. This could be really bad and that's an area you just don't sit and go man i'm going to take a selfie with these cars and all this stuff and it's going to be awesome no you look and you go man i'm going the wrong way this is bad i'm going to turn around and go the right direction when we think about the gospel and responding to jesus that's a great metaphor for that we come to a point where we realize that we are headed the wrong direction we are headed in our sin in a way that separates us from God towards hell and towards death and towards the consequences of our actions and the penalties of our actions. And we come to a place where we realize, man, I'm going the wrong way on a one-way road. And we admit that we have sinned and that we've gone the wrong way and we turn around to Jesus. We say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want you to be my guide. I want you to be my GPS. I want you to be the one that leads my life. And we repent and we believe in Jesus. That's as simple as the gospel is. We're going the wrong way down the one-way road. And we realize we're going the wrong way and we turn to Christ for new life and new hope and a new direction. So we train our mind through God's word and good doctrine so we can discern truth from error. Second, we train our actions and decisions to point people to Jesus. We train our actions and decisions to point people to Jesus. Second part of verse 7. Rather, Paul says, train yourself for godliness. For while training is of, bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Paul used the image here of working out. 
It's the image of a person who daily trains themselves through a regiment to grow and to get better and to get stronger. Because physical training is only of limited value, no matter how much we work out, no matter how many steps we log on our Fitbit, no matter how many miles we can run, and no matter how healthy we feel, guess what? You're eventually going to die. And so Paul says here that physical training has a value, but it's not only to a point. Spiritual training has much more of a value because it's an eternal value. You're making an investment that will last forever both in your life and your growth and the impact of the lives of others around us. So are we intentional about training and growing in our walk with Jesus? When we think about training, training has two elements. Training has a knowledge element and an action element. When we think about knowledge, I can go get a book at the library about running. And I can read every word of that book, no matter how long that is, and know everything I could ever want to know about running. But until I run, it doesn't make a difference. When we think about church and Christianity, I think we're a lot like the runner with the book. That we come to church and we know a lot of, we know a lot of Bible verses, we sit through a lot of sermons, we go to a lot of Sunday school class, we know a lot of good theology, and it's stuff that all stays in our head and never gets out in our life. We're the runner who hopes we win the marathon by holding the book. Are we people who are living out our faith? Are we living out faith in the context of our lives? When it comes to our faith, how often do we miss that? Are we people who are growing in our faith and walk with Jesus because we're willing to live lives of faith? Do we put ourselves in moments like we see all throughout this book where people who followed Jesus in the Bible did things that if Jesus didn't come through, they would fail. Jesus didn't come through, they would look like an idiot. Jesus didn't come through, they put themselves out there. Are we people who are willing to live courageous lives? Are we people who are willing to get out of our comfort zone and let God push us to be a part of what he's doing? So we train our mind, we train our actions and decisions. And why do we train? Because we're motivated by the hope of eternal life. Be motivated by the hope of eternal life. Verse 10. For this end we toil and strive. Because we have our hopes set on the living God. Who's the savior of all people. Especially those who believe. Everyone who's training for something needs a goal. For people with physical training that goal could be to lose weight. To be more healthy. To not scare people at the beach. It could be a lot of different things that that goal could be, but you have a goal. And as you pursue that goal, it keeps you focused. The goal of training for godliness is eternity. We're like the disciples standing in that moment when Jesus goes up. We look up. We fill our hearts and minds with pursuing Christ. We have hope that sometimes even though today is dark and here and now seems hard, that eternity is on the horizon. And we wait for that. We wait for that moment. We're looking to hope because Jesus is going to come back and make all things new and make us new. We cling to that hope. We train for that hope. So we watch out. We work out. Last but not least, we live out. Live out. Paul shifts his focus from preparing ourselves for the purpose of preparing our own lives to living out this faith before others in the world we all have influence people are watching you could be your kids could be your family 
could be people at school, could be new friends at college, could be your next door neighbor. People are watching you and we have influence. Paul challenges Timothy and us wisely to use our influence for Jesus and his kingdom. So how do we do that? Verse 11, teach others the truth. Teach others the truth. Verse 11, command and teach these things. Do engage in gospel conversations about Jesus. Do look for opportunities to speak about Christ. Are we building relationships with other people? Or if we were to bring that up, they would listen to us and not be like, oh, I've seen how they act. I've seen what they do. I've seen who they are. I'm not going to listen to them. I was at a conference a few weeks ago and heard a guy named Bob Goff. Bob Goff has written two books on the simple idea of loving other people and being intentional in doing that. And Bob raised this question that I thought was really helpful to me, something I'm trying to start thinking about in my life. And it's the idea of the power of three minutes. We live in a world where we have lots of people that exist in the background of our lives, whether that's the waiter at the restaurant, whether that is someone we pass in the hall at school, whether that's somebody at the office that's on another team. We have all these people that live in the background, and we have an opportunity to begin to build relationships and speak truth to them. So the way Bob set it up is Bob travels a lot, and there's a TSA agent that Bob has at the airport that he sees quite a bit as he travels. And as Bob sees the TSA agent, he's beginning to build conversations with him in three-minute segments. Hey, what's your name? Where are you from? How are your kids? you have family? Where you're gradually working towards a conversation about them. Where you took a minute and paused to realize other people have a life, other people have stuff going on that I can speak into, that I can pray for, that I can care about, that I can genuinely be a, be a person who speaks to them and tries to reach out to them. I have a friend who does a thing that I really like, and it's called missionary eating. I like it because I like eating, and being a missionary is biblical, so it's a great thing. And so when you think about missionary eating, missionary eating is what he calls the general idea of being intentional about where you go. So on Tuesday, I'm going to go to lunch, and on Tuesday, I'm going to go to lunch at the same place I go every Tuesday, and I'm going to ask for the same waitress I get every Tuesday because I want to build a relationship with that person, not that I have an agenda that I want to get them saved so I can feel better about myself, but I want to go and speak truth to them and have an opportunity to speak about Jesus over time. Those three minutes, those snapshots. Who are people in our lives that we can look for three-minute moments with? where we can speak truth into their lives, where we can get to know them, where we can care about them, where we can dive into their lives. Because naturally when you get to know people, stuff comes up. Hey, you didn't realize your mom was having surgery. Let me pray for that. Hey, you didn't realize you're trying to sell your house. Let me pray that God opens that door. And gradually those doors open up where there's a conversation about faith. And then when you speak of faith, you speak of faith not as someone who's an expert or someone who's trying to take this Bible and shove it down their throat. You speak of faith as a friend who's found hope in Christ, who's found a changed life in Jesus. So we teach others the truth. Second, Paul says to live a life defined by godliness, not by age. Verse 12, let no one despise you because of your youth, but be an example to believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. At the time of Paul's writing, someone was considered young if they were under the age of 40. Paul was writing, uh, Timothy at this time 
30 years old. So Timothy's seen as a young person at age 30, which I was encouraged by. And so when we think about this text, he's saying that my life is defined by their godliness and not by their age. Paul calls Timothy to be an example in these things on the screen, and be an example in speech and what we say, in conduct and what we do, in love, who we value. The people in the background, do we value them? Faith, what we believe, and purity, what we treasure. The word purity is the word that we would get holy from. The idea of being set apart. What do we set apart? Do we set our lives apart from the world? Do we set our purity apart? Do we set our decisions apart? What are we doing to set apart? What are we treasuring? So are we living a compelling Christ-like character that allows us to be defined by our walk for Jesus and not by our age? Students, as you go to college, people are watching. For a lot of people, the reason they've rejected Christianity is not Jesus. They've rejected Christianity because there's a lot of people that claim to be a Christian that don't look like Jesus. You're going to be a person that embodies that faith. You're going to be a person that when people look at you, they see something different. Not someone perfect. Someone who's walking with someone who's gradually making them more and more like Jesus. We're going to be those kinds of people. Next, Paul calls us to use our gifts. No, to read and study God's word. Read and study God's word. Getting ahead of myself. Verse 13. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and teaching. The word is the fuel for the Christian life because the Holy Spirit is the source of the Christian life. Are we committed to connecting daily with the one whom we claim to follow? I heard something the other day that's been really convicting me. And it's the idea that in church we hear from a lot of people about God. We hear a lot of sermons. We hear a lot of Bible studies. We hear a lot of things where people speak from about God's word to you. How many times do we sit down and get away from the world and get away from our phone and get away from our distractions in a place of silence where it's awkward because there's nothing to distract us, there's nothing to push us to the edge and open our Bible and let God speak to us? Because God does that. God speaks through his word. Are we pulling away and letting God speak to us? Because God can speak to us through a sermon. We hope. If not, we need to just all go to lunch. But God speaks through his word. And are you allowing God to speak to you and to speak to your heart through his word? Because church and communion with God doesn't just happen on Sundays. It just doesn't happen on Wednesdays. It just doesn't happen when you're in a suit. It can happen every day. You connect with God. Use your gift to serve others. Verse 14, do not neglect the gift you have, which is given to you by prophecy in the council of elders when they laid their hands on you. Um, Timothy had been given the gift of being set apart as a minister. You don't have to be a professional Christian to make an impact for Jesus. God has given us great gifts, each and every one of us, to be used to build up his church and to point people to him. Do we know what those are? Lots of times your gifts are the things that you're naturally good at, your personality, your passion. Uh, There's a guy named Frederick Buechner, and he talks about this that I really love. That the place where God calls you is where your greatest passion and the world's greatest need come together. What are you passionate about? Where is there a need? That may be where God's calling you. Are we using our gifts? Next. Live truth before others as an example, verse 15. Practice these things and immerse yourself in them 
so that all may see your progress. When people look at you, do they see Jesus? Are you a living example to others of what following Jesus looks like? Are we being an example? Because people are watching. And do people wonder from looking at you, what do they determine Jesus is? They determine Jesus is loving? They determine Jesus is caring? Do they determine that faith is something that matters? What do they see when they look at you? And last but not least, watch your actions and teaching and guard to guard you and those who you influence. Watch your actions and teachings to guard you and those you influence. Verse 16. Keep a close watch on yourself and your teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. Our influence is much larger than we're often willing to admit. Do we realize that the decisions we make and the actions we make not just affect us, they affect others as well? Do we guard our actions so that we reflect Christ in what we do? So we conclude, as we go on this journey of life, seniors, as you go on this journey of walking with Jesus, and I pray you continue to walk with Jesus, there are going to be ups, there are going to be downs. Here are three things to cling to. Watch out. Go find a church that teaches God's word. Go get around people that are about what you value. Work out. What are you doing to build yourself up in your faith? Live out your faith before others. Church, are we watching out? Are we guarding truth? Are we realizing that people want to twist truth and say it's true when it's not? Are we working out? Are we trying to grow in our faith? Are we intentionally pursuing Christ? And then are we living out? Where people look at us, they see Jesus. Because the world needs hope. And we've found hope. Let us reflect that hope well. We've been given the greatest message on the planet, the gospel. And we've been given the greatest honor and responsibility to live that before others and to share that with the world. Let us go with that this week. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you have called us to watch out, to know truth from error, and to guard our hearts. God, help us to be discerning. God, help us to have a desire to study your word and to know your truth, that we can know truth from error. God, we thank you for the opportunity to work out, to grow in you. God, help us to be bold. God, help us to be people who intentionally pursue growing in you. And God, help us to live out this faith because the world is watching and our influence is greater than we realize. God, we thank you for these seniors and thank you for the opportunity to recognize them today. God, I pray that as they leave this place in the next couple months, God, that they would reflect you and that they would change the world for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.